Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello again, and welcome back to a sweet edition of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops dedicated podcast. As always, I am Matt Minnick, your host, joined by Michael Rogner. And it's, it's, a, it's a third consecutive Sweet 16 appearance of, of tournaments that are played uh, for Florida State, Michael. Yeah, this is one of the great weeks in college basketball usually because the, the teams go home and you know they're they got a whole week to prepare and all the fans are are you know going nuts you get another week to to have all the national columnists kind of writing about your team um, obviously a little different this year with covid but you know i am enjoying it all, all the same and super thrilled that that four state is 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 playing again it's it's still unfortunate that our bracket didn't go bonkers like a couple of the other brackets but you know straight chalk we, we, we can we can take down the one seed yeah you know and it's funny when I when I filled out the brackets like most people do and, and I looked at it I really thought that the our side our little quadrant might have had some of the most potential to go bonkers you looked at teams like LSU and uh, you know Georgetown was hot although not not a very good team over the whole season uh, and, and just other, other teams that were in the bracket, you felt like, oh, wow, this one, this one could go, uh, bonkers. And, and yeah, it is one of the more, one of the more chalky ones. I'm still, still pretty pleased with the draw that Florida state got just all things considered with the matchups and, and the way things shook out, uh, for Florida state, of course, I'd rather, you know, not play a one seed, but of the three, one seeds remaining, this is clearly the one I'd prefer. And, and we'll talk more Michigan in a second. Um, you know, I, I think it's at least appropriate to wax a little bit about the the fact that this is the first time that Florida State's made three consecutive uh, Sweet 16s uh, ever in their history. Yeah, and it, it you know every, everybody's kind of kind of uh, you know chalking up last year as a as a as an almost guarantee you know Sweet 16, which would have made it four in a row. Yeah, you know, and I would agree with them. Unfortunately. You know the games were not played, uh, but that that uh, you know still is a significant feather in in Ham's cap that we've got we've got three in a row, and his best team that he's ever had you know didn't even get to compete. That's right, that's right. Three in a row with with an ACC regular season champ uh, sandwiched in between, and and you know it's just crazy if if this was the year. Um, let's let's say that this was the year two thousand and and. 10 right or 2011 i think was when we went to the sweet 16 we beat uh we beat texas a&m and then notre dame there i think we were a 10 seed and 
at that time, that would have been Florida State's first Sweet 16 appearance in in almost um, almost two, uh, a decade and a half. They they went to uh, no, excuse me, in almost two decades. They went to the Sweet 16 in 1993, and then again, so then made it in 2011. Um, and so you're talking about two or three Sweet 16s over a 20 year period almost, and now you're talking about three six tweet 16s over a four-year period <laughs> it just it's just kind of mind-boggling to think if you if you told someone in 2010 or even 2016 yeah that program's gonna um that program's gonna be one of maybe three or four programs in the country that are gonna make three in a row i think michigan's on their fourth in a row and gonzaga is up there as well it just it's really incredible for what uh, Leonard Hamilton and Stan Jones and company have put together in Tallahassee. Yeah. There's, there's two ways to look at that. One is, you know, this is the, 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 the best era of Florida state basketball ever. Um, the other way to look at it is, you know, maybe this whole new bloods thing is, is really something and Florida state's gonna, you know, actually move up into you know the, the upper echelon of college basketball programs and be able to you know be able to maintain that you know even after coach hamilton leaves so you know obviously all that stuff's in the future but it's it's super exciting to you know have a perennial top 20 team that to you know to root for it, it really is and, and it is all in the future i i'm pretty optimistic at least about the near future uh you know next year's team certainly has some great guys coming in and, and the year after you still think about people uh who could be on the roster um you know people like a caleb mills maybe for two years from now or um so yeah i it's really exciting but you know let's focus on the here and now and appreciate what we have right now and what we have is is a team that um for, for the better part of the year looked like a sweet 16 team. We, we talked about it on this podcast a lot that, you know, I don't know that the, that the ceiling is quite as high maybe as last year's team that looked like a, a true final four contender. Um, and certainly this year's floor at times was, was far lower than last year's team. And, and that that's why this year's team was a four seed as opposed to last year's being a, a borderline one, two seed. Um, because of because of the floor, but they've they've done what a lot of Leonard Hamilton teams do, which is find a way to put the to write the right pieces together at the right time. They're playing well in March, and and as is uh, we've seen be the case, uh, Florida State with their length, with their athleticism, and and just with their ability to switch everything on defense. Um, it's, you can't really simulate that in practice, much like it's difficult to simulate the Syracuse 2-3 zone in practice if you don't have the length that are used to playing that zone. It's very hard for a team outside the ACC to have a lot of preparation for what it's like to go against a Florida State defense for 40 minutes. And, and I think we saw that uh, take place this, this tournament with both um, with the UNCG game just totally bottling up Isaiah Miller and, and then Colorado. We've, we've talked about that all years, you know, how the, the defense is, 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 has been hit or miss. And, you know, what we're seeing now is what happens when you're playing defense at a, at a very high level, you know, we, we, you know, may, maybe uh, the, the, the game against UNCG was not our, our greatest offensive game of the year, but the defense that they were not losing that game. And then Colorado, uh, you know, they come out and they, they, you know, they, they need a miracle possession at the end of the first half to even, even get to 20 points. And the, the way that we shut down McKinley, Wright, I mean, if, if, if you had not seen McKinley, Wright, you know, it's, it's too bad because you, you, you didn't get to see that guy at his, you know, play the type of basketball that he can play. He is, he is one of the best players in the country. He had, uh, he was the Ken Palm MVP in like half their wins this year. I mean, he's just, he's an incredible basketball player and, and a senior and Florida State just, just took it out of him. You know, they just, they just wore him down and frustrated him all night. And uh, as a, as a fan, it was great to see, you know, but, but as a, uh, you know, a more general basketball analyst, um, you know, it's, 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 it's tough if that's the only time that you ever actually got to see McKinley Wright play ball because he, he can, he's a, he can, he's a hooper, man. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And, and I'll, uh, I think I'll come back, put a pin in that part and come back to Colorado in just a second. Um, you know, even UNCG, Isaiah Miller is not on the McKinley Wright level, but, um, you know, he's a guy that people in college basketball circles in NBA scout circles talk about as, you know, th- this is a, I mean, he's the, he's the back-to-back SOCON player of the year, you know? Um, and so he, he is a very high level athlete, a very good basketball player and, and Florida state. I, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on UNCG it, to me. It went about as expected. I mean, we were favored by 10, one by 10. And, and that's despite having a three point shooting performance that likely won't be replicated for another couple of years, uh, you know, to go over, but, um, it, it, Florida state just came out and completely, flummoxed uh isaiah miller and and forced you know uncg to to essentially have you know they just cut the head off the snake is what they did yeah we've we've been lucky in the past few years to kind of draw teams that are that are that have one really ball dominant smaller guard and have been able to roll out similar game plans to you know one keep the ball out of their hands and then two just frustrate the hell out of them when they when they do have the ball, and we we are able to do that against both those guys. We we got a little flash of Isaiah Miller when when he's going over uh, Sadar Calhoun for for an hour for that inbounds. Sure, the old Akora White inbounds play. Yeah, and Sadar Calhoun's part of the most athletic guy on our roster, and here's this here's a guy who's who's listed at six feet, and he ain't six feet, and he's going over him and reaching to the side to get the ball, and, and, and that, was, yeah, that was a pretty incredible play. That was that was the one real flash where you're like, okay, there he is. Yeah. No, but that's right, and and otherwise it was – I mean, you know, I know it was one of those games that felt tense, but Florida State never trailed. They, they played an entire NCAA tournament game in, in, a, in a year where we really didn't know a whole lot about these smaller conference teams – we saw that with the with the record number of ups, right? Like the the more double digit seeds advancing than previously, and just I think I think that's part of just we had less data to go with, less sample size. Maybe the seeding was a little bit off, uh, just because no one really played each other out of conference. And and a year with, that saw all these uncertainties and all these um, upsets, you know, Oral Roberts defeating Ohio State and and Florida, and yet. Florida state never trailed in a game against UNCG in a game in which they didn't even make a three pointer and only attempted one. Maybe my biggest uh, complaint of the whole game is that we only attempted one three pointer in the second half. I come on guys, just shoot the ball. But, um, but yeah, they never trailed uh, and won by double digits. So going into the Colorado game, you had a lot of folks sort of, I don't know why. I don't know why professional journalists do this, but you had a lot of people like, get a prisoner of the moment mentality and talk about the Georgetown win as if they were sudden, as if Colorado was suddenly um, Gonzaga and, and sure they made 16 threes. There was no chance that they were going to make, I mean, they set a PAC 12 record against Georgetown with most made threes in a, in a NCAA tournament game. There's no chance they're going to set that record uh, two times in a row. And, and this time they ran into a team that plays a cohesive in your face aggressive defense that doesn't even let your senior star point guard uh, initiate offense any closer than 35 feet from the basket. And, and I, I think, I mean, I mean, I know Florida state had some bumps in the road offensively in the beginning, but they really just rolled over a, a very good Colorado team. Yeah. That Georgetown team is a bad basketball team. And, you know, we even talked about it in the pod as, is you know I was begging people not to pick them you know in in, the, in their pod because there was no chance that they that they were going to beat Colorado and sure enough they you know they just get get rolled, um, so yeah it, it's 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 just it, it's a it's one of those things where you know you 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 hit the nail on the head They're, the fans and the and the and 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 professionals both are just whatever happened yesterday that's the new normal and it's it's just not the way that basketball works and you have to you have to look at matchups you have to look at at you know what teams have done over to over time and you know leonard hamilton is not going to allow colorado to come out and score 90 something points it's just there's zero percent chance of that happening yeah there's 
there's not. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think I read some folks saying things like, oh, well, we could lose, you know, we could, we could, who knows, we could lose by 25. It's like, no, no, we won't. We, we've lost by 25 once in six years. You know, we're not losing by 25. And there's zero chance that Colorado or any team, maybe other than Gonzaga, is going to put up a 90 spot on us. So let's just end that right there. Um, what was Florida State? So, I've, I watch a lot of Pac-12 at night and, and McKinley Wright typically had, I mean, he, yeah, he's six one, but he's strong. He's crafty. He gets to his spots. He's athletic enough. He's able to, um, you know, score, score around, go around guys. He's able to, uh, you know, penetrate and dish. I think at George against Georgetown, he had 13 assists, which I don't care what level of basketball you're playing. 13 assists is, is doing some things. So, what was Florida state able to do to, to just frustrate him into, to arguably, you know, his worst game of the season. I, I was a little surprised actually about, about how successful Florida state was at executing the game plan. I, I kind of knew what the game plan was going to be, you know, one where we're, we're pressuring right in the backcourt, not, not to, not, you know, not a full court press, but to, just to get the ball out of his hands. You know, you, you, you don't want him getting comfortable with the ball. And then, you know, several times in the, in the front court, you know, we were running double teams at him, you know, 28 feet or something from the basket, um, you know, again, just to get the ball out of his hands and, and uh, the, the surrounding crew that he has, you know, they're not, they're not used to kind of picking up uh, all the, all the pieces and being able to put to to run a cohesive offense, you know, if if Wright isn't doing it, and you know, he just got he just got frustrated as hell. And and if if, if they didn't have like a near record number of offensive rebounds, you know, this would have been an even bigger blowout than it was. But you you know, you take one guy like Wright and you take him out of the game, and Colorado just you know they they don't have an, you know an, an, enough pieces. Um, and then they, they, you know, weren't knocking down the few open shots that they, that they did get, especially early in the game. You know, they, they got, a, they got a few concerning looks from three that were wide open and they just weren't able to knock them down. And, and so by the second half, it was that, I don't remember what year it was like 2011, maybe, you know, Notre Dame, we had their fighter, we had their players fighting, you know, against each other because, because they were all so frustrated and you could see it on Colorado and, and the, the last, what was it, probably the last 12 minutes of the game against Colorado was just, you know, utter domination because they were done. They had, they had, they had played enough. Yeah, there was, there was no chance of a comeback um, after the first. There was maybe that moment it gets cut at one point, maybe to three or four, and then there's actually a pretty weird a lineup that I honestly hope I don't see again. I, I think it was like Wil, Wilkes and Jack and Evans and stuff, and – um, and, and then, you know, Calhoun gets a, gets an alley-oop and we get another bucket and it's right back up to what it was. And, you know, that's, that was that. And, and you really, to the point about the frustration, I mean, when, when a senior point guard at the level, uh, you know, the all pack 12 level kind of honorable, you know, I think he might've been like third team, all, all American or honorable mention, all American, but a guy at that level is getting a 10 second call. In, in a situation where he's not even really being, you know, hounded, it's just that little token, not kind of gnat pressure, like, you know, like a gnat buzzing around. And when that's happening and your coach is getting teed up, I mean, the, you're not winning the game. The, the team, the team is done. Uh, and so, so Florida state really just, you know, they, they physically dominated uh, Colorado with, with their length and athleticism, but they also just mentally wore them down. And, and I think that starts for me with Anthony Polite and the job that he was able to, you know, in the first half sort of keep FSU alive with some, with some timely threes. I think he might have three threes in the first half. And then, and then in the second half, just with his rebounds, his steals and, and just kind of being a, a general nuisance uh, at all times on the court. Yeah, we we should definitely call him out a little bit there because that was that was the best game that he's ever played at Florida State and in a key moment um, early he was the only guy who was effective at all against Colorado. You know, later on some of the other the other players started to get get involved, but you know he really kept us in it early. Um, 
and then you know his defense is always uh you know all, all american caliber if you're if you're if you're only looking at one end of the floor then anthony plight's like a third team all-american you know if we're, if we're just talking about defense uh but but the the game that he put together after you know after coming out 0 for 9 in the in the, in the you know against uncg and he he comes out and he just calmly drills it and and you know he missed three and i think on on two of them i thought i thought they were going in i mean he was just he was on point all night you know and he had four assists and four steals and and was just more physical than you know everybody that he was guarding and, and that really wears on you if you're if you're a basketball player yeah, we've talked a lot about uh, get old, stay old, and, and Anthony Polite just seems to really be the poster child for that. Um, he, he's only a redshirt junior, and with this COVID stuff, he could, I, I guess, play two more seasons at Florida State. I would not expect him to do that. I, I think that he would be 25 by the time that happens, um, and, and at that point, you want to start getting paid to play basketball. I, I do think there's a decent chance that he comes back uh, next year unless maybe he tops himself and has a, has a 30 and 10 game here in, in the sweet 16 or elite eight. Um, but no, I think he, you're right. I think he scored the nine of our first 11 points. He looked like early on the only guy who really felt up for the moment. Like he looked like the only one on the team who felt like we're supposed to be in this game and we're supposed, we're the better team. Um, and, and, and then, like you said, physically, there was just no one on Colorado's roster who had the combination of size and and quickness to stay with him or, or to back him down. And, and I'm curious, uh, Michael, to get your thoughts on this, but for me, one of the things that maybe allowed some of that to happen. So of course, Anthony works really hard. He come, you know, he's a legacy comes from a, a basketball family, um, and, and does everything that you want a great, you know, elder statesman to do, but on the court for what maybe allowed this to happen was that I think we're getting better play from Raekwon Evans, uh, and a guy who was playing really well in the middle part of this season, kind of had a lull at the end of the year or, or more than a lull, um, maybe a Canyon at the end of the year. And, and then, um, but he's picked it up again. And, and I feel like it's not that what Raekwon Evans does, it's what, he allows others like Anthony polite to live into the role that they're best in, which for Anthony is being off the ball and then a hounding defensive player. But but what do you think about that? Yeah. Every year FSU fans pick a player to vote off the Island. And and this year it's Raekwon Evans for some reason. I think polite Um, was that player a few years ago. He was. Yeah, (laughs) he exactly was. Yeah. Raekwon Um, gray and and polite (laughs) were like the, the, I hate that guy. And now they're carrying the team to the, to the sweet 16. Yeah, they weren't Division One players, and now you know. Yeah, now, yeah, uh, yeah. Raekwon, it's it's the the point that you made about allowing other players. I think that's that's the key here. Is that first of all, Scotty Barnes is not going to play forty minutes a game, and who are we going to have running point? You know, we're going to have Anthony Polite run the point, or we're going to have MJ run the point. You know, it's it's it's, it's just not um, an effective way to to run a basketball team when you're when you're stuck in half court sets. When we're out and running, sure, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, Bosch has been, you know, proven yeah. that, that he can do it. But in those half-court sets, you know, you've got guys who have been performing a particular role in practice for years now, and having Evans be the ball-dominant guy allows them, you know, to do what they're comfortable doing. You know, Polite is comfortable, you know, roaming the per- perimeter looking for threes. Raycon Gray is comfortable kind of being the the, the uh, pressure outlet, you know, the, 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 the late shot clock post guy or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, Pulling Malik, Malik Osborne shot. can kind of do a little bit of both. Yeah, and, and they're not going to be able to do that if if we're asking a completely inexperienced point guard to, to run the show. So... You know, people can can continue to bag on on Raekwon, uh, you know, as much as they want. But Scotty played 22 minutes and Raekwon played 18, and you know, you add that together, and that's that's 40 minutes of, of point guard play, and and that is not going to change. Um, Leonard Hamilton uh, and and staff know a whole lot more about basketball than we do, and you know, they they see the value of having of having Evans out there, and I think you know, your point kind of nailed, you know, what it is that they're seeing. Yeah. 
And so if I could kind of play back a little bit of what you just said with more of a, like a mathematical example here, it's, it's not that Raekwon Evans is being expected to go out and get 20 points. That's, I mean, I, I think maybe he has one game in his career and that's fine, but um, it's, it's more that if Raekwon Evans is able to provide 20 minutes of serviceable point guard play, then you're more likely, you know, you're probably going to get something polite is able to play his game and give you 16 and, and Osborne's able to play his role and give you 13. Whereas if you're asking polite to play point guard or if, or, you know, if, if, it, you know, again, Scotty for 40, like that's not going to happen. Well, now what happens is that you're still not going to get the points from Evans because he's not getting those points either way. You're also not going to get the 16 from polite uh, because now he's having to initiate offense, which is something that he's just not comfortable doing. And you're probably not going to get the 13 or so from Osborne because he's having to now play a role that's slightly different. And so it, it just, it bought, it just throws off the whole math and you end up with, you know, the, the sum being less than the, the whole, you know, total of their parts, as opposed to more when you have Evans being able to just, allowing others to live into what they do best. Yeah. And then the, the other part of that is that if you go back and, and look at the frustration of McKinley, right. And look, who's guarding him. A lot of time it's Raekwon Evans, you know, he's six, four two ten. He's, he's, he's a, he's a big physical player and he is able to, you know, lean on guys on the other team and, and, you know, help, help wear them down. And he, you know, he fits into that, that big guard you mentality, um, and he, you know, and he, and he plays solid defense. He's not the, he's not the quickest guy in the world lateral, laterally, you know, but he's big and he's strong. You know, he blocks shots. He can test shots. He's he's in the right spots. Yeah, yeah, he's in the right spots. Um, all right. Well, I, I I don't even know. I feel like offensively against Colorado, I, the, my biggest takeaway is that again, Anthony Polite was the man early on, and then once we shut down Colorado, it was more about just being able to get out. You know, we got in some transition. Uh, we we were able to um, get some get to the free throw line a little bit, and and I I felt like it was just a good solid offensive performance uh you know we we didn't turn it over i think we turned it over right about at our season average maybe a tick over um and, and it was just a solid offensive performance outside of maybe the first 10 minutes uh did you have anything with offensively that you know you wanted to talk about that was either concerning or or that you'd like to see more of well i'm still waiting for scotty barnes to kind of have his moment in a in a, in a postseason game um, he, he, you know, he played, played really good in the second half. He was, was, he, 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 he may have played in the first half. I, I'm not sure. I didn't really notice him. Um, in the second half, he played pretty well, but kind of still waiting for him to have that moment and realize that, uh, you know, part of this team being special and reaching its, its height is to have that guy who can, you know, completely dominate five, five minute stretches of a game and, and, uh, you know, he, he's the one on our roster who's just physically built to do it. So here's hoping it comes against Michigan. I, I actually think that it could come defensive. I, I think a lot of people, because he's a five-star, want him to take over offensively. And, and he did have a couple of really nice passes. Um, and and Pat, when, he, when, he's, when he's taking care of the basketball and not making lazy passes, uh, he, he really has nice vision. But I – I think it could maybe come defensively. I think that there could be a stretch where he just overwhelms a, a, a wing or somebody on Michigan's team uh, with his length and, and tenacity and, and basketball IQ defensively that might lead to uh, three or four, you know, either coast to coast by him or runouts uh, for other, other players. I'm hopeful that maybe now that he's got a taste of the March Madness, uh, he can, he can translate that into a little bit more comfort, comfort on the court. You know, his high school teammate, Cade Cunningham, uh, did not have a great, I mean, Oklahoma state's out, uh, they lost, they were upset by the 12 seed Oregon state. And, and while Cade Cunningham scored a lot of points, he was very inefficient and, and did not have the kind of, uh, performance that, you know, you might, you know, we talk about the Carmelo Anthony's and, you know, some of the other freshmen that have led these, uh, you know, these great performances in the, in the tournament. So maybe maybe Scotty can can you know find a way to one up his, his the guy on his team that that actually played point guard in high school. 
Yeah, he's definitely the unicorn. He's there's there's some NBA teams out there that probably wouldn't draft him no matter what, and there are some NBA teams that are gonna who would trade up to get him. You know, it's just it's all about fit and and how you and how you see him developing and and his ability to impact a game. You know, is is not necessarily coming from you know, like you mentioned, his his ability to dominate the offense. It's just he can he can impact every facet of a game from rebounding to steals to block shots and dunks. And you know, he he can he can do it all and offense is only a, a small part of that. probably a conversation for another pat pod, but I don't know what they'll what picks they'll have. But to me, you put him on the court with someone like Trey Young in Atlanta, uh, where Trey Young is that, you know, ball dom- dominant guy that can just pull up from 40 feet in rain threes uh, and you put him on that where he can play point at times, point forward at times, but really just wreck havoc with everything else. And I think that would be a pretty intriguing uh, matchup, especially with the Hawks already having DeAndre Hunter uh, from, from UVA. But like I said, maybe that's a summer edition uh, pod. We're going to take a quick break and, and pay some bills and then we will come back and, and dive into Michigan and also a little bit of the rest of the NCAA tournament. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, that was uh, fun stuff talking about the, the 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 path that Florida State took to get to its third consecutive Sweet 16 uh, and and looking for more. Uh, before we get into Michigan, Michael, is there anything that has kind of caught your eye from a high level of, of just the NCAA tournament in general? Yeah, I think the the conversation has been based largely around conferences this year because. Pac-12 did so great or has done so great. And, you know, Big 12 and, and Big 10 only got one team each into, into, into the Sweet 16. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a frustrating conversation to listen to because I basically disagree with almost everything that everyone is saying, you know. It's just, I feel like, like that should be your T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I basically disagree with almost everything that everyone's saying. Yeah, it's like you look at the Pac-12, for example, and Oregon State is their champion. Um, you know, or, or Oregon State lost to Portland. And if you follow that line of thinking, Portland went to the West Coast Conference and never won a single game. You know, and, and this is the – and that team, they beat, they beat Oregon State at home. You know, and so to, so to think that, you know, Oregon State is suddenly this, this, you know, powerhouse team because they've won a couple games – is just crazy thinking. Um, you know, you could say the same thing about UCLA. Where do they even belong in the tournament? It's you know, it's it's hard to say. But you you put anybody in the tournament, they can make, they can make a run. And it's this you know, it's this idea that they all wear they all wear patches on their uniform that say what what uh, uh, conference they're from, and that somehow impacts you know their their play in the tournament, which is just absolutely ludicrous. You know, Michigan is re- is recruiting these exact same guys as Florida State. You know, in in a lot of cases, including their best player, came down to Florida, Florida State, and Michigan, um, and and to think that you know he's going to have a, a a markedly different career because he's got a Big Ten logo on his jersey instead of a, a ACC logo on his jersey is ludicrous. Um, the ACC is down this year. Uh, we've got two teams in the in the sweet 16, but we knew that they were down this year. You know, the, the, this, the, what's happened in the tournament does not take away from the fact that the big 12 is, is the best, is best conference in basketball. And you cannot argue me out of that. And next year it's going to be the exact same way. You know, they're, they've got lots and lots of good teams. And if you're judging the entire season, which is already shortened because of COVID on one game, then you know that's just super lazy. So hopefully we'll see a little bit, a little bit less of that. But you know that said, hey, it's good for the Pac-12 that that they've you know won some won some games and 
and and good for Villanova for beating a couple of double digit seeds to, you know, to, to to show off how great they are. I I don't think I have a, a comeback for that. I think that um, <laughs> I don't. You you just disagree with me, anyways, right? It, it, no, just kidding. <laughs> Um, I, Oregon has only even played one game, so I don't even know what, I mean, great. <laughs> we can all just, you know, we'll just skip the first game and then have an extra two days to prep and, and have one game. Um, but no, I think, I think it's a, it's certainly an interesting, uh, it's a good point that we shouldn't just toss out everything that happened, uh, because March is weird and, and people like Oral Roberts defeat, uh, you know, UF. I don't know that that is uh, that doesn't mean that the entire that doesn't mean that Alabama was somehow uh, not not a good team in the season. Um, so we maybe we'll get a chance to see Alabama um, close cl- up close and personal if, if we can get by Michigan. And so speaking of Michigan, uh, these two teams played a couple years ago in the Elite Eight. It was a hard fought game that went down to the last you know minute or so when when you know Michigan just had a little bit more juice in the tank than than a, a hobbled Florida State team did. Uh, and, and since then, Michigan's had a coaching change from John Beeline to, to Juwan Howard, uh, but they they still have a, a, a talented roster that is, as you mentioned, uh, highlighted by Hunter Dickinson. Um, what what do they what do they do that could give Florida State some problems? Uh, they do a lot of things that could give Florida State some problems. They've, first of all, their their talent level is is very high. Um, you know, even without Isaiah Livers, they're I, I I'm you know you know that I'm not an NBA guy, so I have, I have no idea where Franz Wagner is is projected in the NBA. But he that dude is a is a lottery pick and and, and yeah, he's and, probably a first round pick. Yeah, and uh, Hunter Dickinson at the at the college level, you know, is is one of the the most challenging big men in the in the country to guard. Uh, you know, we, we we could probably get a little bit into their defense because they their defense does some things uh, that that uh, are are somewhat unique in college basketball, um, but it all stems from. Uh, you know their new coach, Jawan Howard. This is his second year, and and I I think that he is going to be an absolute star in the college level as long as as long as he stays in college and doesn't go back to the NBA. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that when you know Coach Hamilton was was coaching his one year in the NBA, his star player was Jawan Howard. And when Jawan Howard got hired at Michigan, one of the first things he did was fly to Tallahassee and meet with his old coach and talk to him about, you know, the college game. And, um, you know, and he did that with, with several coaches throughout his career. And it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to see someone with, you know, so much NBA experience as a player and an and a assistant, um, you know, going around to all his college coaches and, and kind of figuring out, you know, how he can translate what he learned in the NBA to, you know, much less talented players, um, you know, at the college level. Yeah. Juwan Howard is, is a, is a star coach in the making for sure. If you've ever you know, listened to him talk or, or you just really watched him play uh, he's got a, a very high basketball IQ and, and has a you know, strong understanding of, of, you know, what, what works on a court. Um, and, and he's got a strong player, as you mentioned in Hunter Dickinson, it'll be interesting though, that, um, you know, we, we talked about preparing for Florida state and, and the challenge of that and not being able to really replicate, not just the length, but the, um, switching that they employ it, does having, they have more days. Is that something that they can maybe try to get ready for a little bit better or do the days less important and it's just hard to simulate in practice? It definitely helps to have have extra days. You know, the Florida State's defense is, is tough to prepare for on short notice because we do things differently than other teams. You know, the 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 constant pressure, the 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 switching one through five, fronting the post is something that's really not done in, in college basketball. Um, so it's, so it can be tough to prepare for. So Michigan, you know, has an has an advantage in that they have basically a week to prepare for Florida State. They do not have the length on their roster with Isaiah Livers out injured to maybe replicate everything that Florida State does, you know. But they've got Shawnee Brown, who who you know used to play Wake Forest, and and friends with Wagner, who are both you know Florida State type players. Hunter Dickinson, obviously, 
you know, can, can imitate anything that any one of Florida State's bigs can do. So, so yeah, it helps. Um, but I think it's, 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 I, I don't foresee um, Michigan really stepping out of their comfort zone, especially defensively. And I don't, I don't see Florida State doing anything different. Um, you know, th- I think this is really going to come down to just two teams that are trying to, trying to do what they've been doing all season. And one of them is going to be more successful than the, than the other. It's not, it's not going to be, um, you know, some, some big switch up in you know, defensive or offensive philosophies that, that settle, that settles the game. They're, they're just going to be trying to do what they do and, and somebody's going to be more successful. I agree. I, I do. Uh, to your point of the, I, it's just going to be two teams trying to execute what they run and, and one team is going to have a bit more success executing than the other. Sometimes those games actually make me a little nervous because I feel like that just brings in more of the variance of basketball. And so you think about things like three point lottery and, you know, it is the same uh, gym that Florida state just went over nine in. I, I, I don't think we're going to go over nine. I'll just put that out there on the record, but you know, it's, it's so you do when you're like, well, we just got to execute our stuff. Well, that means people like Anthony polite are going to have to knock down a couple of threes. That means that Wyatt Wilkes is going to have to hit a three or that Malik Osborne or MJ Walker is going to have to find a way to have a little confidence in his shot uh, right now. That, that seems to have, I don't know if the shots disappeared. We don't even know if the shots disappeared because he's not even attempting shots. So um, MJ Walker is going to have to, you know, find a way to realize that this could be the last game of his collegiate career. Um, one, one thing you talk, so if they're, the teams are going to kind of execute what they do and, and Michigan, um, one of the things they do not do is force a lot of turnovers. Uh, Michigan is in the bottom 10 or so in the country in that number, uh, in terms of forcing turnovers, I, I think they force right at about 15%, uh, force turnovers on about 15% of their opponent's possessions, maybe a little less than that. And, and really Florida state's played two teams this year, uh, similar to that UVA and Notre Dame, uh, and, and against UVA, Florida state had its best offensive performance probably of the season, uh, only, only turned the ball over 8% of their possessions. Notre Dame was a little bit higher than that. I think it was 18%. Nonetheless, both of those numbers are below Florida State's average. We're certainly not going to be facing a situation like we, like, you know, if you're playing Georgia Tech, does that make you feel that, you know, hey, that's something that maybe can break FSU's way as long as they just, just don't over dribble and just, just, hey, just go in and run your set and take the open shot that's there they're not going to be facing a very high ball pressure team. Yeah, it helps. I mean, the, the, you know, Notre Dame doesn't force turnovers because they're probably one of the least athletic teams and, and, you know, amongst high major teams and, and Virginia, because, you know, their pack line is just not really designed to turn teams over and, and Michigan, you know, is, is, you know, statistically kind of meets checks those boxes, but the way that they do it is different. And that makes it, Michigan does not, they, they don't double the post or they, it's extremely rare for them to double the post. So even, you know, when they're playing Iowa with who arguably has the best post player in the country and Luca Garza, you know, they, 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 they let him go one-on-one with Hunter Dickinson, um, you know, or, or their, or their backup, which is uh, Austin Davis, I believe. Um, and, and so, uh, and then on the perimeter, it's kind of the same way, you know, they're, they're, they're not jumping into gaps. They're not, you know, their, their whole defense is designed to take away threes. And, uh, and so, you know, they they never want to be caught over helping, um, you know, and, and leading to open threes. So if, you know, Florida state is gonna, uh, you know, in Virginia, will just give you open threes by the nature of their defense. So I think if Florida state is going to hit some threes, it's going to need to be in transition, uh, we're really going to need to be looking for some quick hitters on on offense, um, and then uh, the other place where we can take advantage of them is that they've got two very small players in Eli Brooks and Mike Smith. Mike Smith might be like five ten. I don't even know. Um, you know, and th- and that en- enables Florida State to maybe you know use use Scotty Barnes in the post or or use uh, Raekwon Gray more in the, more in the post and you know tr- try to take advantage of these small guards and force and force Michigan to double team which they don't want to do and 
you know, if you're double teaming um, uh, uh, Scotty Barnes with a, like a six, one player and, and somebody else, then, you know, he has the vision to see over them. He's a good passer and, you know, and Florida State can kind of, you know, break down the defense a, a, a little bit that way. Yeah, I would I would love to see this be the game that we we get Scotty kind of ISOed up in the post a little more, or maybe Raekwon able to hit some of those some of those floaters um, in the lane that he does, just take kind of rise up and shoot over somebody. Um, you know, Florida State is tenth in the country right now at two point percentage defense, and and Michigan's third. So I I I think that you know it's not going to be. Um, you know, 95, it's an, this isn't going to be, uh, what was, was it the U S or no, excuse me, the Oregon, Iowa game. Um, we, we're not, not going to see that. And, and quite honestly, I mean, Michigan's only lost four games all year. They, they were blown out in a weird game, uh, on the road against Minnesota in mid January. I'm not even sure that there's a lot worth looking at that game. Uh, they were also beaten at home by Illinois, uh, by double digits late in the season, a very, a very talented Illinois team that many were picking to win the entire national title. And then they played uh, Michigan state kind of on a back-to-back set. They played like a Thursday, Sunday with Michigan state and split them with their rival and then lost Isaiah livers and, and had a one point loss to, to Ohio state in the big 10 tournament. So they've only lost four games. Um, and, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pull trends uh, from, from a four game sample size. I don't know that there's a lot of trends there, but, um, when, when they did, you know, when they played, uh, I, I think maybe the Ohio state game is the best game to look at since they were playing that game without, uh, w- without Isaiah livers. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, Ohio state somehow in that game was able to generate some threes. And it was really just in those, if you watch the game, it was early in sets and it was Dwayne Washington, um, and, and really just t- getting, getting shots up before, before the, you know, they had to operate out of the half court offense. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it is tough to, to learn from their losses, but if, you know, if, if you look at, um, you know, sort of the, the statistical, um, profile in those losses, the, the, the four games that they lost, um, are four of the five of Michigan's lowest effective field goal percentage games of the year. So they're, they're losing by not making shots. Um, you know, they're, they're not losing because they turn the ball over or don't get to the free throw line or, or the other team goes bananas from threes or, or, or whatever. It's, it's basically comes down to, you know, stopping Michigan from, from making shots because they're, they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're just, um, uh, you know, that, that's how they have a very efficient offense and, and that's how they score. They don't, they don't go to the line a ton and, and so defensively, you know, what can Florida State do to, to, um, you know, counter counter that? And we've we've seen we you know we saw it against Colorado, and and we have to hope that they can do it against a, a better caliber of of athlete in in Michigan, while also hoping that their best player Hunter Dickinson doesn't just totally dominate the game. Yeah. Yeah. So great. We'll just, uh, you know what, let's just draw up the other team miss shots game plan and, uh, and we're good to go. Uh, no. So, uh, Ken Palm has, uh, Michigan favored by four 75 to 71. It is noteworthy that that does not factor in. Um, it's, it's, it can't factor in whether or not you have a player healthy for the game or not. Um, the, the Vegas spread, I believe, is it still three, Michael? Uh, yeah i've seen it at two okay so it's trending. two and a half and so maybe that does compensate there for you know maybe a point mm-hmm. or or half a point for uh isaiah livers i, I don't think it's going to be near I, I don't think it's going to be a game in the 70s unless unless perhaps the refs decided to make it a, a free throw competition which which for all of our fans sake let's hope they don't but do you have a prediction for the for the sweet 16 matchup yeah, if I can uh, lay down some some cover fire here before my prediction, the, you know when it when it comes to the tourney, um, it doesn't matter if Florida State is a twelve seed or a three seed. I I have them winning like the entire thing every time in my bracket. I just I never want to be in a position where I'm like, well they lost, but hey at least my bracket's still holding up. You know I've I've got Houston and Florida State in the final. Um, I'm just, I, I, I can't imagine them losing, you know, before it happens in the tourney. And so I think to win Florida state is going to need to have an exceptionally, 
uh, proficient offensive game, which which will lead to maybe a little higher scoring than people are thinking. Um, I, I think that we can have some success against Michigan's off, you know, defensively, we can have some success against them, but I don't see us shutting them down. So uh, they've been scoring their butts off in, in the tournament and, you know, it's going to be a lot, a lot tougher to score against Florida state than against LSU, hopefully. Um, but I will take something in the seventies. Um, so I will take Florida state like a 74, 73, uh, when Michigan has some sort of, you know, shot at the buzzer, but they just can't get it done. All right. I will, uh, I, of course I like it. I like the, the win prediction. I, I will, uh, zig to your zag. And I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a real, uh, knuckle fight. Uh, the, just, you know, kind of a, a physical battle that, that two, two teams who are used to playing, uh, hard-nosed basketball are going to, you know, going to meet each other and they're led by, by coaches who, who have, who kind of breathe that life into their culture of the program. So I, I am going to say that uh, Scotty Barnes hits, hits a acrobatic runner late in either at the buzzer or with a second or two to go in, in the game in o- overtime, I'm going to say overtime game that gives FSU uh, a, a with the overtime, I'll say a 70 to 69 win for FSU. I like it. If we, if, if, if either of our predictions comes, comes true, then I guess I have to tape that, that uh, uh, Alabama UCLA game and, and make sure that I, I can say something yeah. somewhat intelligent about what the hell they're trying to do. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if we if we end up doing instant pod after this one, I don't know how uh, how articulatable I'll be if if I'm coming off of an overtime buzzer beating win <laughs> by by Scotty Barnes. Um, I may have imbibed a few drinks, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot of hooping and hollering, which I'm sure people will love to listen to. Yeah, put put the explicit down on that one. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, it's always, always good, my friend. And, and at least we've got another week of, of basketball dreaming to do, uh, left in this season, uh, for, for Michael, I'm Matt.